the Laodicea church, the lukewarm church, the church left behind, and the church of the Antichrist during the tribulation, the lukewarm church. In fact, we know that the book of Revelation tells us that there's going to be basically a one-world religion, and we can see everything flowing in that direction right now, can't we? In fact, I showed, it's probably been at least a year ago or so, but I showed you that video on a Sunday morning that was created by the Vatican where they were showing all the different religions, you know, the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, and so forth, and how that they were promoting this universal one-world religion, basically. And the Laodicea church, the lukewarm church, is basically the modern church of today. Not all churches, obviously, but if we look at the church as a whole, I would say that the vast majority of them would fall under this category. And this is the only one of the seven churches of Asia Minor in chapters 2 and 3 that receives absolutely no commendation. Every other church, even though Jesus rebuked all but two of the churches... Every other church except Laodicea received some commendation from Jesus. But let's read verses 14 through 18. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. You notice every time he addresses one of these churches, he reveals different aspects of his nature, of his character, of who he is. Here, as he addresses Laodicea, It's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word today. This is a very important passage here in Revelation. Very important message, Lord, because we are actually living in the time of Laodicea, which means your return is very near the end of all things, and the beginning of eternity with you. Lord, please bless this study now. Touch our hearts and minds, Lord. Feed your sheep, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we've already seen, this final letter is to the church of Laodicea, the last of the seven churches of Asia Minor, receiving a message from Jesus. Laodicea was a city about 90 miles Due east of Ephesus, as I've shared throughout this series, all these churches were located in what is part of modern-day Turkey, interestingly enough, referred to in previous times as Asia Minor. 90 miles due east of Ephesus, 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia, the city of voter fraud. Oh, no, that's a different, it's a different Philadelphia, pardon me. <laughs> Under... <laughs> Under Roman rule, Laodicea was a wealthy city. About 35 years before this letter was written, at the end of the first century, Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake, but it had the wealth and ability to rebuild. And that reminded me of what happened when we had the um, 
knocking down of the Twin Towers and so forth, and the vow, the pledge to rebuild in spite of what had happened. But it wasn't a pledge that really included God in the mixture. Jonathan Kahn wrote a lot about this in The Harbinger and some of his other writings. And so it reminded me of that, that they were able to rebuild because of their great wealth, but they were missing the important element, and that was the element of a vital, dynamic relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Its main industry was wool cloth and clothing made from the many black wool sheep bred there. So they specialized in the black wool, interestingly enough. It was also famous for its worship of Asclepius, the Greek god of healing, which is also a serpent god, interestingly enough. The Greek god of healing, Asclepius, represented by a serpent. Who might that be? Zeus was the city's patron deity, but Laodiceans also had temples for Apollo, Asclepius, Hades, Hera, Athena, Serapis, Dionysus, and other deities. So they had lots of gods. Many Jewish people lived in the region there of Phrygia, where Laodicea was located, and they had developed a famous medical school and produced an ointment to cure sore ears and a certain powder used in the treatment of diseased eyes. And so um, we see a lot of the connections here in the message from Jesus that they could understand and relate to. But he identifies himself here as the Amen. As you probably know, the word Amen means so be it, let it be so, let it be done. And Jesus is the one who guarantees the confirmation and certainty of all that he says. He's the Amen. The faithful and true witness. And so... Whatever Jesus tells us, we can take it to the bank. It's kind of sad, I think, that so many people put their hope, their faith, their trust in human beings. We're all flawed. We're all imperfect. And even when we have the best of intentions, we still have an inclination to let one another down, don't we? And one of the biggest rubs against most leaders civic leaders, politicians, as they often make many promises that they never keep or perhaps never even intend to keep. So that's another important factor to consider when casting your vote. <laughs> There's no perfect leaders, no perfect rulers, no perfect politicians, but some are better at keeping their promises than others. But Jesus always keeps his promise. Always. He is the faithful and true witness. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And that's absolutely correct. What is his witness? What is his testimony? This is interesting, isn't it? He is the faithful and true witness. Let's look at some scriptures that talk about his witness and his testimony. John 3, beginning in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. So Jesus is saying, he's above all. And he's allowed to say that because he is. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. 
He is the co-creator. He is God. So this is not being braggadocious or arrogant. He's simply stating the fact. He who comes from above is above all. And what he has seen and heard, he testifies. So Jesus is able to and has indeed given us a first-hand account of the realities of the kingdom of God, the realities of heaven, the realities of paradise, the realities of eternity. But look at this. What he has seen and heard, he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. Now, that's a generalization, but his point is that by and large, the vast majority of people don't receive his testimony. How sad is that? Just like the Apostle Paul said, all men seek their own. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions, but Paul was making a general statement about the attitudes of most people, even in the body of Christ. It's a sad thing. But you know, all sin is rooted and grounded in selfishness. It boils down to that. When you cheat on your husband or your wife, you're being selfish. When you steal from someone, you're being selfish. Now, sometimes people try to justify these things. Well, I was poverty-stricken. But if you're a believer and you're trusting in God and He promises to take care of you and provide for you, then He will make a way without you having to violate your moral compass in order to get what you need. All sin is rooted and grounded in selfishness. When Eve partook of the apple, it was out of selfishness. It looked good. She thought, man, that thing is going to be tasty. Why should I be deprived of it just because God said so? All men seek their own. No one receives his testimony. The important thing is to make sure that we're not part of that category. Maybe all men seek their own, but as followers of Jesus Christ, we will seek the good of others first before ourselves, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow his example. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. So when you receive the testimony of Jesus Christ, you're certifying that God is true. You're taking a stand for the truth and the reality of God. Last night I was sitting in my backyard. It was a nice night. The temperature did start to drop at a certain point, but it was when I first went out there, it was like 70 degrees, sun was starting to go down. And as it got dark, I was just looking up at the sky and I saw a few stars up there, but just, just the wide open sky above me, and I just started praising God and worshiping Him for who He is, the Creator of all things. It was awesome. We all need to do that on a regular basis. Verse 34, For he whom God has sent, Jesus, speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. God does not give the Spirit by measure. He has poured out His Spirit upon Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove? And God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Revelation 1, 1 and 2. Very beginning of the book where we started. The revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. 
which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So this entire book of Revelation is part of the testimony of Jesus, particularly as it relates to the various stages of church history leading up to the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom of Christ on the earth, and then the new heavens, the new earth, at which point we enter into eternity. No more time. No more having to look at your watch, look at the clock. No more time. Revelation 19.10 And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. This is the angel. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. We talk often about our testimony, don't we? Or we should. I've encouraged you all to you know, try to work on having a well-defined testimony. Sometimes our testimonies are a little shaggy, a little uh, undefined. Uh, you know, we try to tell somebody about Jesus and say, well, he, you know, he healed me of this sickness, which is great. In fact, we got a great testimony this past week. Many of you know Bill and Kay Johnson. They haven't been here for a while due to the pandemic, but Kay had had a lot of ongoing problems with her esophagus, and the one doctor she was seeing seemed to be fairly convinced that it was probably cancerous or precancerous. So a lot of us have been praying for her. We pray for her every week in the men's prayer group. I pray for her at home. And um, we got a report this past week she got a new doctor. He'd run another series of tests and so forth. And she also had a hiatal hernia. Not only are there absolutely no cancer cells in her esophagus, the hiatal hernia is completely gone. That's the testimony of Jesus, too. I even forgot to tell my wife. Every, she'd be at sleep, and I'd, I'd, I'd go to bed at night, and I'd be praying. I think, I forgot to tell Georgie. Every day I kept forgetting to tell her what a, a dynamic testimony. And we've had a number of people in the church with esophagus issues, including myself. So keep us all in prayer because if God can do it for Kay, he can do it for any of us, right? See that you do not do that. Don't worship me, the angel says. And some people have gotten off into that kind of thing, haven't they? Angel worship. You know, we have to guard our hearts and minds. It's easy to get sucked into unbiblical practices. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. If you are a brother or sister in Christ, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, then you are part of the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And we certainly have had those who have tried to add to the word of God. We need to update it. We need to reinvent Christianity. We need to do all this stuff. No, God says you don't do that. You don't touch it. It is what it is. It's what God has given us. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, and we've seen people do that as well, takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, 
God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So the testimony of Jesus is a very important, powerful, dynamic thing. And this entire book of Revelation is his testimony to us concerning the end of time, the last days, and leading on, as I said, into eternity. And to have our own well-defined testimony that we can tell people easily, clearly, succinctly what the gospel of Christ is and what it's done for us. And then he identifies himself as the beginning of the creation of God. Now that doesn't mean, as, as some have tried to suggest, that doesn't mean that Jesus was God's first created being. It means he was there at the beginning of creation with God because he is God. As the second person of the Trinity, Jesus is co-creator with the Father and the Spirit, and as such, all things that exist emanate from him. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Either God has very poor grammar, or there was more than one person there. And our definition of the Trinity is this, one God manifesting himself in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Don't ask me to explain it, because I can't. Nobody can. We have to just stand on the truth of God's Word. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. One God manifesting himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, with a big W, that's Jesus, the Logos. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. You realize, I suspect, that virtually every cult group, every false teacher, everyone in the business of leading people away from the true faith denies the deity of Christ. It's one of the cardinal denials of virtually every false pseudo-Christian group, religious group, to deny the deity of Christ. And when you deny the deity of Christ, I heard uh, Amy Coney Barrett during our confirmation hearing, they were talking about the Affordable Care Act and that President Trump had done away with the individual mandate, meaning they could no longer force you to purchase health care or have to pay a penalty if you don't have health care. Are we all familiar with that? And so there's a Supreme Court case right now trying to decide whether they're going to strike down that. And they were asking Amy Coney Barrett about it. And she used the example of the Jenga game where you stack up all the wooden blocks. And then what happens if you pull one block out of the middle? Will it stand or will it fall? Well, that's what we're looking at here. The deity of Christ. You pull that block out of the stack and it all falls apart because he is God. And that's what gave him the ability and the right and the desire to die on the cross in our place. Because only God could become the sacrifice for our sins. And he manifested himself in human form as Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. He is fully God, fully man, 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Again, confirming that he is God. And yet time and time again, there are those who will try to undermine that cardinal belief, that cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith that teaches Jesus is more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a teacher. He is God incarnate. All things were made through him. He is the creator. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And that's what Jesus means when he identifies himself here as the beginning of the creation of God. Colossians 1.17 He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So these titles by which I, Jesus identifies himself here, they're preparing the Laodiceans for the humiliating and awful truths which he's about to declare and the authority on which his declaration is founded. So let's move on to verse 15. After identifying himself in this way, Jesus says in verse 15, I know your works. And this is something he has said to all the churches. I know your deeds. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. And as I thought about this, this, this is how I see it. I would propose that milk and water are best when they're cold. Coffee, hot chocolate, soup, they're all much better when they're hot, right? Now I guess cold coffee's become popular in today's culture, but traditionally you usually drink coffee hot, hot chocolate, soup. And I would propose that very few things are good when they're lukewarm. But he says, I wish you were cold or hot. If they were cold, then the warmth of Jesus could melt their frozen hearts, couldn't it? If they were hot, that this would indicate that they were on fire for God. The hardest people to reach, folks, are those who are lukewarm. Have you seen that? Oftentimes, the people that seem the farthest away from God, that are the most antagonistic, it's because there's a major spiritual battle going on inside of them, and they're actually a lot closer to coming to Him than you would think. The hardest people to reach are those who are lukewarm, unconcerned, ambivalent, complacent, apathetic, self-satisfied. He says, I wish you were cold or hot. Hardest people to reach are those that are lukewarm. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Those are words no one should ever want to hear. The lukewarmness of Laodicea, the nauseating religion, as I titled this message. The lukewarmness of Laodicea made Jesus sick to his stomach. I don't want to make Jesus sick to his stomach, do you? What a horrible thought. They made him want to throw up. Here's what J. Vernon McGee had to say about it. This had a background and local meaning for the people in that day. Being down in the valley, they had difficulty getting water in Laodicea. The Laodiceans built an aqueduct to bring cold water down from the mountain. When it left the mountains, it was ice cold. But by the time it made the trip all the way down the mountains to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And lukewarm water is not very good. Down in the valley where the Lycus River joins the Meander River, there were hot springs. Boy, this reminds me so much of Honduras when we were down there with uh, 
Pastor Chris and Maria and a lot of the folks that have taken mission trips to Honduras, they had, a, they had run a pipe, pipeline from the mountains to get water down to the people below, but over a period of time, through deterioration and so forth and the intrusion of microbes and so forth, the water wasn't really drinkable. You had to be very careful. You didn't want to open your mouth when you're taking a shower. You could get the microbes, the bacteria in your mouth and into your system and get very sick, which I did get very sick one time down there. But same kind of a thing. The water traveling down from the mountains to the town below. And they also had, there was a river there, they had these hot pools right along the river. It was really kind of fun and enjoyable. Very similar setting. He says, down in the valley where the Lycus River joins the Meander River, there are hot springs. However, when they would take this hot water up to Laodicea, by the time it got there, it was no longer hot. It had become lukewarm. So when the Lord Jesus said to the Laodicean church, you're neither hot nor cold, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They'd been drinking lukewarm water for years. Water left the mountains ice cold and it left the springs steaming hot. But when they got it, both were lukewarm and it was sickening. The Lord Jesus said that this church was neither cold nor hot and he would spew it out of his mouth. This is McGee still talking. The lukewarm or neutral or compromising or accommodating church. Again, so you can see why I say this is the church of today. Neutral. We talked last week about how the Pope has now endorsed gay marriage. And I understand a lot of Catholics aren't very happy about that. Neutral, compromising. We're now up to where almost half of self-identifying Christians at the very least, are okay with abortion. The last I saw was 46%. It could be even a little higher now. And this is particularly true with the younger generations in the church. Accepting of gay marriage, accepting of abortion, accepting of cohabitation outside of marriage, even accepting of transgenderism and so forth. The lukewarm, neutral, compromising, accommodating church. It's what we have in large part in our world today, I would say, is particularly in the Western world, North America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, so forth. And yet, what do we find here in this middle section of Revelation chapter 3? This church is repulsive to the Lord. And damaging to his purpose. There was no commendation. I know your works. Nothing commendable here in this lukewarm church. Even though, as we read in verse 17, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. So their outward success and prosperity proved to be the greatest deception of all. The megachurch phenomenon. There are some great megachurches in our nation, but there are many others that are not. They've been built on self-promotion, man-made methodologies for church growth, and the very things that we're talking about. They've been able to attract humongous crowds due to the fact that they're lukewarm, neutral, compromising, and accommodating. The seeker-friendly, emergent church, those who are afraid to talk about the blood of Christ 
afraid to talk about sin, afraid to talk about hell. Someone in the church just sent me this lengthy article by this female physician out of Texas who now claims to be some kind of a self-styled theologian. And what she's once again promoting under a different name tag is universalism, that ultimately every human being will be saved. That even if you don't get, get it right in this life, you will have more opportunities to get right with God. That is so unbiblical. It's absolutely blasphemous. And that there really nobody's going to be in hell. Everybody will be in heaven. Folks, if there is no reward for obedience and faithfulness, then if there's no punishment, then the reward has no meaning. If this is the way it works, then why even try? Just enjoy yourself. Live life to the full. Go for the gusto and work on your relationship with God in the next life. That's called reincarnation. That's Hinduism. That's, that's uh, karma and all this kind of stuff. The Bible says it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. It's here here and now or never. You get right with God in this life or you don't get right with Him at all. If you wait till after you die, it's too late. That's the whole challenge. Are you willing to give up what appear to be these amazing, wonderful delicacies of this world? And they don't last. They're temporary and they always have a destructive element. There's a way which seems right unto a man, but at the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. There's a price to be paid. There's always payback when you decide to serve the flesh, when you decide to serve the devil. There's always payback. He may reward you. Ask some of these fallen rock stars and movie stars and financial moguls that have tasted of all the delights and delicacies of this world, but look how they wound up. The Elvis Presleys, the Michael Jacksons, the Jim Morrisons, the Jimi Hendrix, and many other people from other walks of life who thought they had the world by the tail when in fact the devil had them by the tail. And when he's done using you for his purposes, he trashes you, he, he destroys you. And yet, this church of Laodicea said, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I've need of nothing. Look how successful we are. Look how great we're doing. God is surely with us. But Jesus says, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, we, we can, uh, we're very good at seeing ourselves as we think we are, Right? Part of that's the grace of God. <laughs> we all look in the mirror and we think we look pretty great, whether we do or not. And that's the grace of God. But no, we, we are very good at seeing ourselves as we think we are. And that's something as I've gotten older, and I'm not talking about physical appearance, but earlier in my life, I mean, I was enjoying my salvation. I was enjoying following God, being a believer and so forth. But I've shared with you many times, the longer I walk with God, the older I get, the more I'm aware of my, my wretchedness, of the vile nature of my sin, of what a sinner I am. Like Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm not, uh, 
you know, just tiptoeing through the tulips anymore. I've come to grips with who I really am. And God wants us to do that because then we realize how much we really need Him. We all tend to look at ourselves and see ourselves as we think we are. Jesus sees us for who we really are. They said, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing. Jesus says, no, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And you need to know it. James 1.22 Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And that's what a lot of people are looking for. They want a nice, warm, fuzzy message that'll make them feel good about themselves and they can go on their merry way. That's not what we need. We need the truth. We need reality. Because when you wake up every day and you realize without God in your life, there's no hope. Without Jesus Christ, all is lost. Why? Because you are a sinner. I am a sinner. I got rebuked once by a lady in our church a number of years ago for saying that we are not holy. The only holiness that you and I have is the holiness that God imparts to us by His grace, by His mercy. Apart from Him, I have no holiness. And so that's why I said, we're not holy. He is holy. And when you yield your life to Him, He lovingly, graciously imparts His holiness to you. But if you want to stay holy, you better stay close to Him. Just like Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai and he was glowing because he'd been in the presence of God. But the longer he stayed down off of the mountain, the glow began to fade. And if you want the glow to stay bright, you've got to stay close to Him. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You can read the Bible every day and be totally self-deceived. Because if you don't do it, if you just read it, oh, that was really nice. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. I talked about that, didn't I? For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. When you look into the Word of God and it exposes you for who you really are, but then you choose to just ignore it, forget it. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the Word, this one will be blessed in what he does. See, the Laodicean believers thought they were rich, but they were really poor. Poor in the most important kind of wealth, spiritual wealth. They thought they were clear of vision, but they were spiritually blind. They were proud of their beautiful garments, but like Adam and Eve in their fallen state, the Laodiceans were actually naked. They had no robes of righteousness that are imparted by Jesus to those who make up his bride. Having rebuked the Laodiceans for being wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, it's just like our Jesus. He holds out a lifeline. Here's what you must do to be restored to me. And here's the difference, and I've told you this many times as well. The devil condemns, resulting in hopelessness. Romans chapter 8 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The devil condemns, trying to make us hopeless and helpless. God rebukes. He doesn't condemn, but the Holy Spirit convicts us 
of our sin. He rebukes, he chastises, and that results in hope and restoration. When God rebukes us, as he's rebuking the church of Laodicea here, it's with restoration in mind. Whenever you find yourself feeling condemned, right away you, you can know easily know that is not from God. He does not condemn. Sometimes people will try to heap condemnation on us, guilt, guilt trip us, right? Manipulate us. God will never do that. The devil will. You need to resist that with every fiber of your being. There's no condemnation, but you should welcome with open arms the rebuke, the chastisement of the Lord because it's for the purpose of hope, for restoration, for healing. Finally, verse 18 for today. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So Jesus draws upon the analogy of the city's three main sources of wealth. Gold, banking, the banking industry, gold, production of wool cloth, clothing, nakedness, and of medicines, as in the ISAV. And Jesus says, I counsel you. This is not a time where Jesus says, I command you. It's a counselor. He's counseling them. When Jesus offers us counsel, we would be well served to take heed. Would you agree? We often seek out counsel in many different places. And sadly, today, many people seek it out on the Internet, social media. The Bible does say there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors, but that's only if those counselors are listening to God. And it's only if they're giving you godly biblical counsel and not their own personal opinions, their own bias, their own prejudice. Mom, I don't know what to do. Bobby's treating me terribly. Divorce the mom. Really? Is that biblical counsel? Divorce the bum? Just one of many possible examples. Well, honey, you need to pray. You need to seek God. Let me give you some scriptures here that may help you. There's only wisdom in the multitude of counselors if those counselors are listening to God and following God and giving you the truth of God's word. Jesus says, I counsel you. You can always trust his counsel. And we have the scriptures the Holy Bible, which is just chock full of God's wisdom and God's counsel to us. And Jesus said, I send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will be your counselor. And it doesn't cost anything. Going for counseling can be expensive today, can't it? And you see, the goal there is to keep you coming as long as possible. <laughs> because that's how they make their money. I was talking to... Uh, Someone this morning, now I forget who, James or Ed or one of the guys. Oh, James, I think it was. And this is something I've observed for a long, long time now. It's sad that in our world today, in our society, in our culture, the areas where people can become the most desperate and, and need help in the worst way, the medical community. I mean, there are a few things in this life that can be more difficult, traumatizing, and so forth than a health issue, a medical condition, and yet it's one of the most expensive things in the world today. There was a time, you know, you had the family doctor, he would come to your house and treat you, and you'd give him 10 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever. I remember when I was a kid, people actually paid cash 
for their medical treatments because you could afford to. Because people went into the medical field because they wanted to help people. Right? It wasn't considered one of these professions where you can get rich and wealthy. It was a profession that was considered a sacrificial profession. Because you had to do a lot of work for a little bit of money. And sometimes if it was a rural area, you didn't get paid in cash. You'd get a carton of eggs, a gallon of milk, a goat. If you had to do surgery, you might get a goat, you know. But now in this modern world, people trade upon other people's misery. The legal profession. That's all about money. I'm sorry if there's any lawyers here. God bless you. If you're a believer, then hopefully you're playing it straight. A lot of them don't play it straight. And another reason, that, uh, another reason I wanted to see the current president get elected is I'm sick of lawyers running this country. It's incredible. I, it seems like about 90% of the politicians have law degrees. Why do they get those degrees? So they can learn how to manipulate the law. Guess who the bad guys were in Jesus' day? The lawyers, the Pharisees, they were the lawyers. I hate to condemn an entire profession carte blanche, but they've given us a lot of ammunition. We don't need any more lawyers running our country, I'm telling you. Now, there's some good ones out there, some of the folks on the Supreme Court. They've, they've proven themselves to be good faithful defenders of the Constitution, but there's an awful lot of them out there that are not. Sorry for deviating like that. You chuckle. How dare you chuckle. So Jesus is counseling the people of Laodicea, buy from me. Quit getting ripped off by the devil. You think, you think you're getting so much from him but I guarantee you, there's a high price to be paid. What the Laodiceans needed, only Jesus could give them. And even the resources to purchase what they needed had to come from him. Isaiah 55, 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, the living waters that Christ offers. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. God is saying, I have everything you need. And it's not going to cost you a penny because I'm paying the price. I'm footing the bill. Isn't it really cool and really fun when you go out to eat with somebody and they grab the check? I got this one. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, 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 I couldn't. <laughs> right? But, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, that's what God's done for us, folks. He's invited us to the greatest banquet that will ever take place, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's invited us to come and dwell with Him forever in paradise, to eat from the tree of life, to drink from the living waters. And He says, I'm picking up the tab. I got the check. All you got to do is trust me, believe in me, follow me. Buy from me. Revelation 21, 6 and 7. He said to me, it is done. This is Jesus. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. How incredible is that? 
Wow, Lord Jesus, help us to keep our eyes to the skies, to keep our hearts and minds in heaven, in eternity, where we will be with you forever. Lord, help us not to be deceived, bamboozled by the things of this world. Buy from me gold refined in the fire, the true heavenly treasure, gold that is purchased by enduring the trials of this life, folks. That's what's so sad about some of this teaching that you should name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. If you're really close to God, if you really have faith, your life is going to be perfect. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be healthy. No, no, no. This life is all about the refiner's fire. This is about preparing us for eternity. Buy from me gold refined in the fire, the fire of self-sacrifice. Like Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself the refining fire of this life that will prepare you for the rewards of eternity. And there's a lot more yet to discuss about Laodicea. Let's stand. I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes. Before I start to pray, I'm going to ask for a show of hands for anyone who needs prayer today. Whatever it might be for health, finances, relationships, mental, emotional issues, anxiety, stress, whatever it is, God knows. He sees you. He sees your hand. He sees your heart. And he wants to bless you and help you and strengthen you. So, Father, I lift up each one now that's raised their hand this morning. The amazing thing, God, is you know each and every one. Lord, you tell us even the very hairs on our head have been counted by you. So you know each one of these folks. You know what's going on in their lives. Whatever it might be, it could be a health issue. Lord, we know that eventually these bodies do uh, fall apart. They break down. We might taste physical death, but that's okay because we're going to get a new body. And we're going to live with you forever in paradise. But in the meantime, we do pray for strength, for healing in our physical bodies that we might be able to continue to serve you here on this earth and this life, to be a witness and a testimony for you. Lord, please strengthen, encourage, and heal those with physical needs, also those with emotional, mental needs, anxiety, stress, whatever it might be, Father. Lord, we know that uh, you are the counselor. You are the comforter. You are the healer. We pray for mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical healing. We pray for provision for those who are struggling. This has been a difficult time, God, with the pandemic, a lot of financial issues for a lot of people. We pray for each one of your children here today that you would provide for them, take care of them, and that, Lord, we as the body of Christ, when we are able to and when we become aware of the needs of others, that we would be able to step in and do our part. As we talked this morning about forsaking selfishness, not being self-seeking, but seeking to help others, to follow the role model and the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, you know everyone here today. You've seen every hand. You know every need. We trust you. You are faithful. Lord, we shared the testimony about Kay Johnson today, the healing of her esophagus and her hiatal hernia. Lord, that gives us great encouragement. Lord, we know that your ways are way above and beyond our ways. We don't always understand everything, but we trust you. We believe in you. And I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on every person here today, and even those that may be watching on the Internet. Father God, we know that uh, there are no boundaries where you're concerned. You're omnipresent. You're everywhere. You're omnipotent. You're all-powerful. You're omniscient. You're all-knowing. So even for those that may be watching online, Lord, that have needs. Touch them today too also, we pray in Jesus' name. 
And Lord, we pray for anyone today who is not sure of their relationship with you. They're not really certain what would happen if they were to leave this world today. If they were to die, would they be in heaven? Lord, give them an assurance of salvation. Help them to confess you as Lord and Savior, to confess their sins before you, to repent, to turn from a life of selfishness, a life of sin, and to follow you. Lord, help everyone that has not done that to receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now we ask you to receive our final offering of worship this morning before we leave. And we pray for safety for each and every one as we go our separate ways today. In Jesus' name, amen.